0: I can't recommend them enough. Christine and her team have been fantastic. So I definitely recommend you check out Haven Financial Services at www.jamiebateman.com forward slash Haven. Let's get back to the show. This episode is sponsored by the Integrity Income Fund, which is managed by yours truly and my team at Labrador Lending. The Integrity Income Fund is for accredited investors, It aims to pay an 8% preferred return and an 8.5% preferred return for early investors. It aims to pay out monthly distributions. There's a $25,000 minimum and only a one-year lockup. If you are an accredited investor and you're looking to get away from Wall Street, uh, looking to beat inflation, and looking for an asset class that is backed by hard physical real estate, then look no further than the Integrity Income Fund. Check it out at LabradorLending.com. Hey, everyone. Jamie Bateman here. I had the chance today to chat with Bryce Robertson, a mobile home park investor. You're going to love this episode. He's from Australia originally. He dropped out of high school, um, didn't have a, a strong capacity for reading, he talks about later in, in the episode, something that he hadn't. Talked about publicly, uh, very much, and um, didn't have any knowledge of business or entrepreneurship or real estate. Uh, spent a lot of years doing uh, construction and underground gold mine work and some really hard labor. Um, moved to the U.S. after traveling the world, and um, and it, we talk a lot about his first deal, which was a fantastic. Thing to focus on because he had a negative net worth at the time he had two thousand uh, dollars to his name and he had unseasoned credit um, and within two and a half years he overcame all those obstacles to create financial freedom the fact is his mentor one of his mentors was telling him walk away from this deal you shouldn't do this deal it's a bad idea uh, and we talk about how bryce Hung up on him and said, "No, I'm moving forward." Um, so I love his his um, positive energy and his ability to overcome adversity. And we also focus a lot on. Um, we certainly talk a lot about financial fitness and financial freedom, but he also is a is a freedom uh, uh, hacker in a lot of ways: um, health, spirituality, relationships. Um, and like I said, finance as well, but he's just a a positive guy. I I got to know him personally, um, a couple weeks ago, and I know that you're going to enjoy getting to know him as well.
1: Inspiring stories of real people overcoming incredible odds to live life to the fullest. We are all guaranteed to face hardships. How will we handle the adversity? Join us to be moved by everyday people who have turned poverty into prosperity and weakness into wealth. Be inspired as these relatable heroes get vulnerable. And former counterintelligence investigator Jamie Bateman puts his interviewing skills to the test. Restore your faith in humanity as you experience true Cinderella stories of average people, turning surreal struggle and deep despair into booming businesses and financial fortune take ownership of the life you are destined to live and turn your adversity into abundance.
0: Welcome everybody to another episode of the From Adversity to Abundance podcast. I am your host, Jamie Bateman, and I'm thrilled today to have a a new friend of mine on the show with us, Bryce Robertson. Bryce, how are you doing today?
2: I'm awesome, Jamie. Thanks for having
0: me here, brother absolutely so for the listeners out there for a little bit of context bryce and i met in person um almost i guess two weeks ago um probably was uh two weeks ago tonight i think maybe at dinner uh which was in uh, scottsdale at, at a mastermind event which was fantastic um and uh i know your your story is 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 uh very interesting i'm excited to learn more than i already know but um for the listeners out there, Bryce, who are you and, and what are you up to today?
2: Yeah, so I'm Bryce Robertson from Cultivate Collective, where we help passive investors create financial... and. Freedom and expand their wealth through recession-resistant investments because we believe our investments should perform well during good economic times and even better during down economic times. And uh, our main bread and butter is mobile home parks and self-storage. We have our own in-house property management company, asset management company. We've got our own in-house construction crews. And uh, we do a lot of heavy value-add investments where we buy uh, close to 50% occupied, move our construction crews in to do all the remodels, get the place up to 100% occupied in a really short period of time, and then we kind of move on to the next one. That's our main bread and butter. That's what we mainly do. Um, But in recent years, we've also branched out Uh, and built relationships with top operators in other asset classes because we only specialize in mobile home parks and self-storage. We're not going to claim to specialize in other things. So we team up with the best of the best in other asset classes so we can bring those types of investments to the table. Um, And those kinds of investments would be along the lines of automatic telemachines, Bitcoin telemachines, Bitcoin mining um, uh, we're also, we have been involved in the multifamily space, but we're a little wary of that right now due to recession resistance, um, you know, uh, refrigerated storage, car washes, and, uh, we're even working on the behind the scenes on some, uh, cannabis and also some mushroom investments as well. Nice.
0: Well, yeah, that's, uh, quite a lot you've got going on there. It sounds like you do while you are exposed to, a, a an array of different asset classes, it sounds like you're very intentional and strategic about uh, how you go about implementing, you know, that, that investment, your investment strategy. Um, so I'd love to, to dive into that. Um, but before we get into more detail on, on that, let's hop back to your, your backstory and touch on, you know, potentially some more, more personal, uh, Things here, as far as some adversity you've been through um, in your in your past, and then we'll walk back through to present day. So, obviously, from adversity to abundance, just the the, the qualifier before we really dive in. Um, we, I don't pretend like you know Bryce's adversity is is fully over now, and now now you're living in you know 100 abundance. You know it, that's not that's not the intent of the show, but I think um, if we can dive in a little bit on some personal adversity that you face whether in your literal personal life or more business related we can pull out some lessons learned for the listeners and for ourselves and you know help us when we inevitably do face hardship again um, and go from there so where would you like to to take us in your journey
2: well, so first off, I want to just kind of add a little bit of color to what you just said there, because I think that's super important. One of my mentors, Dr. John Martini, ingrained in me the, the concept and philosophy that we live in a world of 50% positive and 50% negative. That's down to the most micro-micro atom to the most macro-macro galaxies in the universe. There's negative and positive forces pulling against and pushing against each other and that's how a universe works right now some of us could say well good and bad but that's how it's bringing our own personality and experiences into it i'm just talking about positive and negative another way to actually look at that is this is a realistic i think and healthy way to look at the world to look at relationships to look at business to look at to look at everything really is that we can expect if everything's 50 positive and 50 negative we can expect 50 percent reward and 50 challenge okay and those who actually it doesn't mean the challenges have to be bad um, but it means our challenges are in place to help us grow in those areas. Because if we have that challenge, we haven't learned that lesson yet. And that's why it keeps showing up in our life. So I just wanted to set that context there. That's, that's now let's
0: <laughs> Now yeah, let's wind
2: good. back the clock, man, and go back to... Uh, you know uh, I was born and raised in Australia and um, had an awesome upbringing. And I got to... The uh, near the end of high school, and I realized there is no freaking chance I am going to university and doing the rest of the schooling system because I was bored out of my brains. Mm-hmm. I wanted to go out there. I wanted to get my hands dirty. I wanted to earn as much money as I could. The problem was is I had no influence as uh, like business influence or entrepreneurial influences. So I didn't even really know that world existed yet. So I went out there and got what I thought that was the highest paying job. And that was in the blue collared field. So I went and got an apprenticeship as a steel fabricator welder. I did a five-year apprenticeship in about three years because I was super eager to get it done. And then I went out and worked in the underground gold mines in Western Australia, where I was working 12 to 14 hours a day, uh, seven days a week, eight weeks on, one week off. And uh, I kind of did that bouncing between Western Australia and Northern Territory for about two years, saving up uh, a pretty decent chunk of cash because in my early 20s, I had a vision that I wanted to travel the world for six years. And I did. And this is how I did it. First, I went over to London and I set up my base camp. That's where I worked and earned my money. And then I would travel from there. So I would work, you know, like uh, 10, 12 hours a day, five to seven days a week, maybe for three, four months at a time. Then I would go travel in Europe until. <laughs> until my money ran out. And then I would come back, I would earn more money, go traveling through Africa. And uh, I did the whole UK, Europe and Africa cycle for three years. And after that, I wanted to change the scenery. So I went from 12 million people over in London to a really small ski village in the mountains of British Columbia called Fernie, which had about 5,000 people um, in, in Canada. And I really just went there for a ski season because I wanted to experience snowboarding and I loved it so much. And there also happened to be coal mines there as well. So I ended up starting to gig out the coal mines and I stayed there for two years. And when I wasn't working out the coal mines, I was firefighting downhill mountain biking, snowboarding, or somehow enjoying the outdoor mountainous activities. So this time during that two years, I really didn't travel that much. So I wasn't really spending that much money. So it enabled me to save up even bigger chunk of cash this time. So I could take an 18 month surfing and scuba diving trip down in central and South America. And in the last six months of that surfing and scuba diving trip, I met my wife who's a native from California So naturally, I ended up here in the States, which is about 12, 13 years ago. Now, when I ended up here in the States, my wife and I made an agreement with each other. We wanted to recreate this freedom lifestyle, except we wanted to do it, um, one, so our money doesn't run out. Uh, while we're traveling and so and number two so money's actually growing while we're traveling and having fun and living this freedom lifestyle now remember we didn't have any idea of any how any of this worked so we went out there and we started looking in the three main ways that we could make big bucks and that's mm-hmm. owning a business, the stock market and real estate. I think the mm-hmm. stock market category cryptocurrency is pretty similar to that it just wasn't mm-hmm. really a thing back then. so in those areas, we started doing about seven different side hustles. We were just trying to do all these different things and see what sticks. But then after a while, I was looking at it and I was realizing, man, I'm having mediocre success. I'm spread thin, I'm spinning plates and my energy is just all over the place. So I realized I had to stop what I was doing, take a step back and then decide to laser focus on one thing and put all my eggs and all my energy in that basket. Hmm. And that's what I did. What was I going to do? Well, I knew it was going to be real estate because at the time I had a, a 17 year background in construction and construction management. But what was I going to do in real estate? Because there's so many ways to make money. So I looked at all the different ways to make money in real estate. And over and over and over again, mobile home parks kept popping off the page. Mm -hmm. Massive supply and demand in favor of mobile home park owners getting to fulfill what I believe is the largest uh, real estate problem in America. And that's the need for affordable housing. Awesome tax benefits, high cash flows, very little competition. I was all in. So I decided to be all in. And three months after making that decision, I put my first mobile home park under contract. But I wasn't in the position to get that deal closed by myself because at the time, I had a negative net worth. I only had $2,000 in the bank. And I had unseasoned credit because I hadn't been in the States long enough. So uh, let me, I let me buy... jump in if, if yeah. you don't mind
0: this is uh this is going to be the easiest interview i've ever I've ever done <laughs> cuz <'Cause laughs> you're really really good at telling your story um uh, so i kind of didn't want to cut you off but um man so clearly there's so many things i could pull out clearly you're not afraid of hard work you're clearly not afraid of you know living life i don't want to say to the extreme but enjoying life through experiences and um i, I guess being intentional about it. you know you said you wanted to travel for six years let
2: me ask you, why six years why did you want to travel the world for six years i don't know how i came up with that number but i kind of just like did a little bit of mapping in my head of how long it would take me to hit most of the countries that i wanted to hit and uh i suppose it just allowed myself like six years to do that like yeah. properly gotcha
0: no it just it's it's pretty cool how you you've got you know you'll work hard, but you've got an intention, it seems like, behind behind the process, if that makes sense. Um, so you're saving up for a specific goal and I like that. Whereas other, you know, it's very easy for kind of the average person to get a job and, you know, work their job and <laughs> not necessarily think through it or have an experience that they're aiming for. So I love the I love mm. the approach. It's obviously very it's different, uh for sure, than your your average, at least American nine to five you know, approach. But so um, sorry, I just there's so many questions I have, we'll have to bring you back for a second, uh, second show <laughs> if, you, if you if you can do that. But um, so mobile home parks, I mean, I, um, I love it. It's when I was kind of I've been in the single family space for a while. And then as I started to look into more passive investing myself, it seemed like three asset classes kind of kept coming to the to the surface when I was doing my research uh, years ago, and that was um, uh, senior living facilities just based Mm -hmm. on demographics um, for the most part. And then um, of course, besides the larger multifamily, um, self-storage was the other one and mobile home parks. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so self-storage and mobile home parks seem to be the most recession resistant. Um, But then on the self-storage side, they're always adding more. So there's a, a supply issue there, whereas mobile home parks, I know it's not that easy to add more. Um, and we're getting ahead of ourselves, though. So so tell us about that. So you, you were uh, $2,000 in the bank, negative net worth, and
2: really didn't know what you were doing at that point. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Unseasoned credit... And unseasoned also credit. in addition to that, and, and I had unseasoned credit because I just hadn't been in the States long enough to actually build credit, right? Sure. And then the other thing is, is I'm in a brand new country. I don't know anybody, right? Right. So, um, but, I, but I leaned out to family and friends. And uh, and I'll tell you what, in, originally, because I knew I had an amazing deal. It was a 40-space mobile home park with one single family home, like a three-bedroom, two-bar single-family home, and also a... Um, like a, a storage slash office slash um, laundry building as well. So, and the whole thing, um, we ended up putting on a contract for I think it was like five hundred and seventy thousand, which represented a twelve cap purchase in California back in two thousand and fifteen. And so that was just like a killer deal. I right. knew it was an amazing deal. Um, I had no idea how I was going to get this deal done. I just knew what the next steps were. So the uh, once I had it under contract, um, uh, well, actually, let's actually peel it back. So to get it under contract, I knew it was an amazing deal. At the time, I'd actually spent... or it might've even been $35,000 on credit cards to pay for a mentor um, that was actually going to help drive me through these general processes. right? Mm -hmm. And So I didn't have a contract yet. Um, So I wanted him to one, quickly look at the deal. And number two, give me the contract. I needed to put it on the contract. Mm
0: -hmm. So
2: I called him up, no answer. I kept calling, 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 no answer. I'm like, man, if I don't get contact with him very soon, this deal's not happening because, like, it's gonna it's gonna sell like hotcakes at this price. So I knew I had to move quickly. So I called the organization, and said, "Hey, my mentor is not like calling me back. What's the deal? I'm trying to get this deal done." So he finally called me back, and he says, "All right, tell me about the deal, kiddo." And so I tell him about the deal. It's a twelve cap from California, forty space park, blah blah blah. He's like, "Cool, deal sounds good, checks out." He's like, okay, what do you need help with? And I said, well, um, I'm in a little bit of a situation. I have a ne- negative net worth, $2,000 bank, an unseasoned credit, and um, I have no contract. And he's like, run that by me again. <laughs> I told him negative net worth, $2,000, unseasoned credit. And this is what he said. He said, you're dreaming, kiddo. You're never going to get it done. Just come back down to the club and do a, a little single family deal like everybody else. You're way out of your league. So what do you think wow. I did? I took the phone. And I just hung up, man. That was not the energy I was looking for. That was not the answer I was looking for. I can no longer rely on that, dude. So I went and actually made another phone call to somebody who has had success in the mobile home park space. I called him up. I told him, hey, here's the deal. Here's the stats. He's like, what? A 12 cap in California? Why do you not have that under contract? I said, well, (laughs) because I don't have a contract. He's like, dude, (laughs) I'm going to email you one right now. Put that thing under contract. So boom, got the contract, put it under contract. We were sweet. Next thing I need to do was um, perform some due diligence on it to make sure that we were actually buying what we thought we were buying and to evaluate all the risks. So cool, go through that piece. And then the next piece is like, uh uh-oh, we need money, we need to get this deal done, and we need financing. And I currently don't qualify for financing because I've I've got unseasoned credit. So we leaned out to family and friends, and um, I thought, I've got a cracking deal. This is going to be a piece of cake. Everybody Mm -hmm. wants in on a good deal. The thing is, I didn't realize at the time is like, I have no experience. All of a sudden, I'm this real estate investor. People don't know me as a real estate investor. I haven't prepared anybody for it. And I had a really, I had a really cold shower. Like, really, I had not much responses at all. Now, finally, we actually did have some family and friends join, but it was really because of my wife, because of the relationships that my wife had built over the years. And uh, their trust in my wife and their trust in my wife's decision on me was really why these people invested in the first place. Mm. And, uh, and so, um, then also got a little bit creative and there was the sellers had a, uh, someone who had like a financing note tied to the park. It was very, very small. And I just reached Mm -hmm. out to the sellers and I said, Hey, does that person like being involved in the deal? They said, Mm -hmm. yeah, they've been involved in the deal for 10 years and they love it. I'm like, would it be cool if I called them? The seller's are like, why do you want to call them? I said, well, I just want to see if they're interested in staying in the deal, maybe for a larger portion. So we called him up and uh, sure thing, guy was like super loved being in the deal for the last 10 years. He had more money at the time. He wanted to place into investment. So he gave us some seller financing on, well, not seller finance. He gave us some
1: yeah.
2: third-party financing through a retirement sure. accounts um, so that we could get the deal done. So three months after putting it on a contract, you solve all these problems um and then we got the deal done that is awesome um <laughs> yeah it's a lot of moving parts there and and
0: i love the fact that you you didn't give up um and uh you obviously knew it was a good deal or else i mean cuz you know could have gone poorly if you had, if you didn't if it wasn't a good deal but mm-hmm. so this guy offered you so you, he offered you creative financing or, that was already in place but you so you've got your debt side there and then the the funds that you raised through your wife's contacts were the equity portion?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think yep. we needed about like 170, 180 grand to basically pay for the down payment of the loan and the closing costs. Got it. Okay. So, how much of your own personal money did you have into this deal? So, started off with two grand, but then as we were progressing through the due diligence and inspections period, um, I was earning more money. And by the time it was said and done and closed, I ended up putting 15 grand into that deal. Got it. Um, so that's a lot of, I mean, that just that deal
0: itself highlights a lot of adversity. I think that you overcame, I'm sure you've had other, other periods of adversity, personal adversity and things, but, Mm -hmm. um, what would you say kind of stands out with regard to, you know, some of the negative or I guess more, more mental challenges maybe, uh, when you were going through that, that first deal?
2: Oh, dude, it was just like. There was so many reasons why that deal seemed like it wasn't going to work. You're like my mentor was like, yeah, it's not happening, dude. You're not doing this deal. It's too big. Um, <laughs> right. That would have taken a lot of people out. You know, you pay sure. somebody that much money for for mentoring. A lot of people would have listened to that. There was right. just no room in my way of thinking for that kind of mentality. Um But then, you know, going through, trying to get the financing piece, like we had no idea how we're going to do that. Having all of these challenges with the capital raising, getting to a point where it looks like we're not even going to raise the capital for this deal. Um, And then we get near closing. And the interesting thing is the sellers the reason they were selling is because they were an intimate couple who had a child together. I don't believe they were married, but she was over him. She didn't want anything to do with him anymore. And that was the last thing that they actually oh, had together no, no. that kind of tied God, them together. God, just, just give me a second while the yeah,
0: it's all good. No worries. Can,
2: it's all can good. you just give me one second? Yeah. Absolutely. Give me one second. Well, uh, so. So one of the other challenges that we had was that the sellers were actually going through a separation. See, the sellers were an intimate couple. They had some children together. I don't think they were married, but this was literally the last thing that was keeping them together. Once this tie was split with this mobile home park, there was no reason for him to have to talk to her. And she didn't want to be with him anymore. Right. <laughs> and he still wanted something. So because of that, right at the last minute, He started to get a little crazy in the way he was communicating, and then he got so aggressive, he got to the point where he said, Hey, screw you guys, we're not closing on this deal. Force Mm. me if you can, I'm going to Mexico. Um, now let me let me also set the context on this because before this, in the beginning, before we even put it under contract, he literally would not put it under contract unless I signed a disclosure saying that I do not work for the IRS nor do I work for the FBI. So that's wow. that's an interesting thing to come into <laughs> due diligence on that. Obviously gave us two data points that we had to look into, but he literally he was so paranoid um, that he wouldn't like even put the deal on a contract until I st- stated in writing that I wasn't part of the FBI or the, C- or the um, IRS. So Interesting. this was accurate, And so he's like, all right, we're going to Mexico. I'm out. It's done. You're not doing the deal. It's not happening. Catch me if you can. Literally, he was like, catch me if you can. <laughs> and then um, so then the title company actually called him up and the title company said, well, hey, you can do that. We can't force you to do anything, but let's just like have you talk to our legal department before you actually go to Mexico. Okay. And, uh, because there's some pretty big consequences if you, if you go down to Mexico. And so he talked to the legal department and then like literally the next day we closed because he realized (laughs) he was in a lot of trouble and he already didn't want to be in trouble. So, um, yeah. So we ended up getting that deal done. That is wild.
0: Yeah. We, uh, the house we, we own now, we, our primary residence, we bought from a couple who was splitting up and it got, it got pretty dicey and it, it did delay the closing quite a bit with, the, you know, a lot of, a lot of personal issues there that kind of came to fruition. So I can only imagine on a larger scale, you're buying a mobile home park and this guy's trying to flee the country. That is wild. Um, so what was going through your head? I mean, were you, were the people around you, your, your, your wife, I mean, were people saying you need to Stop and besides your mentor, were others trying to dissuade you from moving forward?
2: My wife is definitely of the same mindset. She's like, Yeah, we're getting this deal done. We're gonna like, we're gonna do it. How what do we have to do to get this deal done? Obviously within our values and morals, but like we sure. we really wanted to get the deal done. Um probably most other people were just like, This dude's crazy. Like, <laughs> I don't know if we really had much support anywhere else. Yeah. Um, you know, it gotcha. was just like it was just self-determination, man. Got it. And really, what, what drove me, and that's an interesting thing yeah, to talk about. That was about my next because, question, exactly. Yep. Because there's kind of two things that motivate us. There's like the magnetic attraction to something that we want that pulls us towards what we want. And then yeah. there's the repelling of moving away from something we mm-hmm. didn't want. And I hadn't set the context that for the 17 years that I worked in the construction industry, I was dissatisfied, I was unhealthy, I didn't enjoy it. I was overworked. I was burnt out. I literally reached a point. I don't even like to use this H word because I just don't think Mm -hmm. it's good to put out there. But I hated like working and I hated that Mm -hmm. job. And I really needed to just get away from that. Real Mm -hmm. estate was this thing that I'd seen success stories from other people and I had a glimmering hope of possibility that I could live a different life. And so I was willing to make that happen and I was willing to put in the work and do what I had to do to make and solve all the problems to make that happen. So the thing that really, really drove me, and this drove me all the way up until financial freedom because um, after we closed on that park, uh, two and a half years later, for the next two and a half years, we rinsed and repeated this uh, syndication model of raising capital for mobile home parks and doing more deals. And then mm-hmm. two and a half years later, became financially free, retired ourselves, never had to work That's again, work because we choose to, not because we have to. Um, but the motivating factor that drove me to that point was to really get away from the career that I I'd, I'd felt like I just dug myself into a hole. And, uh, until I came across real estate investing, I literally thought that if I'm going to go out and change an al- and create an alternative, it's going to take me another 17 years to get to that point in that career. And that is so not the case. Um, that was my negative mindset working for me and my lack of awareness and consciousness. Um, I was really moving away from the flame that was burning my butt, which was um, which was just a job. I really just, I just, I was miserable, dude. Like I was yeah. honestly like miserable.
0: No, that's and that's interesting because I I don't know as you were talking through the 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 element that's pulling you forward and the element that's pushing you away is I was thinking of uh, your positive and negative energy that you talked about in the beginning uh it's essentially the, a great example of that positive and negative both both coexisting if you will mm-hmm. um so yeah that's awesome so now now you've done been doing this for several years up to this point
2: yeah i mean the first deal was back in 2015 so you know we're we're 7 years deep
0: yeah that's awesome and you're uh still you're actively syndicating now and, and looking for deals. Like what, what is a what does a week look like
2: for you with regard to real estate investing? Um every week's different, you know, I ebb and flow. Uh, I live by the freedom trinity of financial time and location freedom. So I'm in the position where I literally can do what I want from where I want, when I want, who I want. Now, just because I'm in that position doesn't mean that I'm like sitting in the Bahamas sipping on cocktails like all day long. Cause that gets boring. You know, I've done that. Sure. I travel a lot. I've traveled all over the world. I still do all of that. Um, but I like a balance of like growing entrepreneurially, growing business, helping a lot of people, and uh, and then also having time for me and having the downtime and traveling and all of that. So I'm I kind of like ebb and flow between business growth and not. So right now wow. I'm kind of winding down. I've been in massive business growth mode for the last like probably six months. Uh, we've done a lot of deals this year. I think uh we're just about to wrap up uh 12 mobile home park purchases. Uh, mm-hmm. we've got five under contract right now. And wow. uh we've we've really been moving and shaking, we've been doing a whole bunch of other deals. Uh, We've got a Bitcoin mining fund coming out in like two weeks, Bitcoin telemachines coming out about four weeks after that. Um, There's a handful of other deals that we'll probably do before year's end. So um, Mm -hmm. there is no like typical week for me. My life Mm -hmm. is just kind of like all over the place and I put my energy where I need to. Um, Recently, it's been into uh, rebranding, growing the business, putting a lot of automated systems in, in place. And yeah. um, I'm just kind of like winding down a little bit here too as we go to the year's end so I can just like chill out and kind of, um, you know, get, get a little bit more balance, which yeah. is a challenge that I actually have, Jamie. It's like mm-hmm. it's interesting to try and find where that perfect balance is because people say, look, if you look at life, and I like to look at life in five core areas, wealth, health, relationships, spirituality, and having fun. And it's my belief that if we have – Uh, a a good balance and growth in all of those five areas that we're generally going to be pretty fulfilled. It's usually when we're out of balance of those areas that we find that we're unfulfilled. And, uh, you know, for example, someone who's like super awesome at going to the gym, but then they've got no money and no relationships and they're not spiritually grounded and they're not really having that much fun. Is that really quality of life? No, it's not. And there is no one size fits all answer for any of us because we're all different. Um, And so I've been going through the process. One of the challenges I've been dealing with lately has been finding that sweet spot, you know, because and I've been finding if I go more than three months of like massive growth as an entrepreneur, I start Mm -hmm. to like want to. Get some more time off, and if sure. I have time off for like three, four months at a time, <laughs> I'm like itching for like entrepreneurial yeah. growth. Yeah, so uh, I don't know if there's a perfect answer to it. I think if someone yeah. says, "Hey, man, I'm perfectly balanced," I think maybe <laughs> temporarily we we yeah. experience that, but sure. it's very short lived, and then yeah. you know we've got work to do to kind of put absolutely. it back in balance.
0: Absolutely, and I can entirely relate to that. It's uh, if I my, for my own business when we met. Two weeks ago in Scottsdale, I should have been for my business short term. I should have been at a, at a note conference in California, um, and uh, but what was actually much better for me personally and for my family and my health was going to the the mastermind event that I went to because mm-hmm. I was getting a little bit too you know into the weeds on my my own business growth and um, just it, it's unhealthy after a, a bit of time. Uh, but I'm with you too. The other extreme, I don't ever picture, you know, quote unquote, retiring, just fully retiring, on a beach somewhere. I mean, I love, I think growth and and serving others and and serving yourself and and uh, just getting better and improving and is important an important facet of mental health and um, just it all it all relates together. So it all ties in together. That's that's a good point. Um, so, yeah, I mean that's that's pretty awesome. Just your your growth in the last 7 years from a business standpoint is pretty phenomenal. Um and I a ton of people would have would have quit at several different points during that during what you went through for sure. Um and I do want the listeners to understand that you just said you could be doing whatever you want whenever you want, but you are choosing to be on our podcast right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, uh, I'm just joking. But so, I'm going to fly through some uh some quick questions here and see where sure. see where it takes us. Um, what's one thing that people misunderstand about you?
2: That misunderstand about me? Hmm. That's a really good question. Something that people misunderstand. Well, probably one of the things in business, maybe in business, right? Um, people may misunderstand that I care maybe because if you look at like disc profiles and you look at like what my personality type is, I'm super strong on dominance and influence and uh, I'm relatively low on um, stability and I think the C is like conscientiousness of others or something like that. But the the main thing that actually drives me to even do any of this at all is to help people create freedom in their life and to help people on my team become financially free and expand their wealth and create more freedom in their life. So number one, they can actually start making decisions from their heart and the soul, not from necessity. And then the more finances, the better they get in the financial world, the more that they can go out there and spread their C positively in the world so that's actually what drives me and uh but when we're in the thick of it and in the weeds especially if you're working very closely with me I'm cracking Mm -hmm. the whip man and Mm -hmm. I'm like I'm like pretty aggressive I'm like go 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 push 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 Mm -hmm. and uh maybe I don't spend enough time kind of like you know, smelling the flowers and, and showing appreciation. I certainly do it a lot more these days. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, that's that's kind of my way of actually mm-hmm. giving love and, and helping people out here on the planet. Got it.
0: No, it makes a lot of sense. Um, what would you say is one of your biggest failures or setbacks or challenges, however you want to frame it, besides the the what, what we've already talked about?
2: Um this is I don't believe in failures. I know you've heard me say that before. Yeah, I yeah. think that every challenge is an opportunity for us to grow and it keeps popping up because we haven't learned that lesson yet. Um, you know, I could talk about like failures in business and everything like that. Uh, I could talk about like different parks and, and, and investments where I've had failures. But I think one of the areas that I haven't really spoken about them much or really much in public at all is that I wasn't like strong at reading and writing in school. Right. Mm. And literally by the time that I I dropped out of high school and it was like year Mm. 11, when I dropped out, I'd read one book, man, I read one book and it was like way years earlier. So then remember when I left school, I got into the blue collar trades and all I had to do was read drawings. I didn't have to read words, you know? So like I had terrible vocabulary. I was, I was a bit of like a ghetto Australian slang guy. Right. (laughs) <laughs> and, um, and then I also, uh, just didn't have a need or desire to read much until I was in my, I was, I was like 30 years old or like just before 30, maybe in my late twenties. And I, um, actually it was 27 or 28 when I learned Spanish because I knew I was going down to central and South America that I actually had to look again at, um, you know, English and grammar and all of this. You know, because at that point, when I was like 27, 28 years old, all I could do is just scrape together, sending an email. And uh, think about this, like fast forward in business, like you have to be a good communicator. You have to have an excellent vocabulary. You have to be able to like write. You have to be able to present a message clearly. And, uh, you know, so I had to, and then also I came to America and I didn't realize when I came to America, how much I needed to change my vocabulary because I started telling jokes when I got over here and I got to the punchline <laughs> and, and I'm like, I'm ready for everybody to just start yes. like crying out and laughter. People just Crickets. looking at me going, Bryce, I've got no idea what you're <laughs> talking about, dude.
0: That, that, that was because of your vocabulary or because just yeah, because of it?
2: It's because I used so much, I had so much slang that people weren't familiar with uh, because the Australian culture uses a lot of slang and the slang Mm -hmm. moves really quickly. Like the words move really, um, they change all the time frequently. And so, um, it's a very different way to speak. And then I realized in the business world here, especially it's like, you have, I had to go back and relearn the entire English (laughs) concept, the English language. Right. And then I had to learn how grammar and how to like write properly and how to write emails and then you know I went on to um you know be be a best selling author and and now it's actually one of my strengths but I had to turn that weakness into a strength in order to be able to do business in the first place and that's hmm. just something I've never really talked about much
0: Yeah, that's interesting. That's that's, uh, something, you know, many of us just take for granted, because we learned it in school or whatever. But so was it more just to dive in slightly more on that? Where was it more, you know, it was more challenging for you to learn than it was for others?
2: Or do you think it was just you didn't want to learn it because you didn't see a need for it at that time? I was freaking bored, man. I just It just used to bore me, dude, in school. Mm-hmm. I didn't enjoy it. Like for some reason, I liked math and science. I don't know. And I ended up being yeah. pretty decent at that. Um, and I suppose I scraped by with grades. I don't even know how looking back with English, but um, mm-hmm. it just bored me. And I and I and yeah. probably at the time, I was just thinking, well, I'm just doing adventurous stuff anyway, so I don't need to right. read and write. Um, and, you know, maybe, maybe I wasn't good at it or something. And maybe I kind of just like tapped myself out. I don't know what I did. But yeah. I just wasn't interested. Um, gotcha. Now I love it, dude. Now I read all the time. Now um, I kind of pride myself in like you know writing awesome articles. I write for Bigger Pockets. Uh, I've got another book that I'm writing right now called The Freedom Trinity. That's probably going to launch next year. Nice. Um, but you that's... know, the, there's everybody's got something, man. That was my sure. thing. We've got things that we need to because really becoming financially free becoming financially successful it's not about like when you have money the money is going to solve your problems that's not really the most important thing it's it's the journey of like who we have to become and then when we get to that point who we have become uh, to be the person we needed to be to achieve those achievements it's really more about self-development than it is of anything else
0: Hmm. that's really good yeah, I was curious if your if your how your views on money maybe had changed over the years. Um, anything you can say there? Like if you were, how, how does your when you were an eighteen year old versus today? What was your view of money back then versus what it is
2: now? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so like I always had a desire to go out and like earn money to to get what I wanted, and so like I think I did a pretty good job at doing that of Mm -hmm. going out and saying, Hey, I want this. So I know that I can go out and earn money to do that. But Mm -hmm. what I didn't know at the time is that like, that's a never ending way. You're just going to keep going down that rabbit hole. um, And and now I have a completely different way of doing it. Now I'll go create an investment. It's going to create cash flow to pay for something, um, which is very different from like, I'm going to work X amount of hours and save up money so I can go get this. but yeah. really, I had to go through a whole reprogramming. Uh, my first main mentor was um, T. Harvecker And mm. I read his book, Secrets of the Millionaire Mind. Mm-hmm. And uh, we ended up going on. My wife and I did like two, three years training with his organization, uh, Peak Potentials. Wow. And we went through, well, one of the first things is we went through uh, visual uh, audio and kinesthetic reprogramming of all of our negative financial mindset. Because what I didn't know at the time is all of these experiences I'd had and all the people that I'd been around are all inflicting negative financial concepts on us. Things that we've heard like you have to make you have to earn money to make money. Uh, sorry, you have to yeah you have to make money to earn money. Um, money doesn't grow on trees. Money is root of all evil, all these things. They're all nonsense. We can shoot holes in them. I've actually since, since then created a course called financial freedom mastery, where we go through a similar process and we actually reprogram ourselves and learn a lot more about financial freedom as well. And, uh, it's literally the place that we need to start because the reason that more people aren't successful, Number one, the reason mm-hmm. financially successful or financially free—the number one reason—is because people don't believe that it's possible for them, and that's huge. So we've got that's, to start with our massive. mindset.
0: Absolutely, yeah, it is huge. That's awesome. Um, yeah, that's I. Either to me, either extreme is terrible. I mean, you know, you don't want to be, you know, a slave to money your whole life. Obviously, you you've um, you know made the decision to experience life and, and kind of put money in its place and have money serve you. But the other extreme is not good either where you just bury your head in the sand and and pretend money has zero impact or zero significance. So I, I, I love the what I view as a healthy take on the importance of money. So that, that's really good.
2: And then we can go too far the other way, too, Jamie. And we yeah. could be like, you know, obsessed with money and thinking that like money's gonna solve all of our problems. And like, can't Absolutely. I just buy a solution to the problem? And, you know, it's in certain places, like intimate relationships, um, it's like money's not gonna necessarily solve that problem. Money sure. makes our life easier, it makes our life better, it helps expand things in other areas. But, you know, we can go too far the other way as well.
0: Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Um, all right. As we move toward uh, the conclusion here, a few more rapid fire questions. Okay. If you could have coffee with any historical figure, who would it be and why?
2: So I'd have tea because I don't drink coffee. Okay. Tea. Um, with any historical figure.
0: Could be could be
2: you know historical or, or alive today. Anybody. Just one person, man. that hurts, dude. You know, there's so much, because there's so many people, but for some reason right now, Bob Marley's coming up. I mean, that dude is just a freedom advocate. He just created such a massive platform. It still resonates today. I actually like reggae music. Um, I like listening to a lot of his sons as well too. And I actually just went to a few of their concerts recently. I went to Stephen Marley and, and Ziggy Marley. Those guys have a message um, coming from like Bob being an evangelist of freedom, have a message of freedom that was came out in like the 60s and 70s that's like totally applicable to all of the things that are happening in the world today. Um, mm. so I think it'd be amazing to like sit down and have a, a conversation that's, with Bob Marley, man.
0: That's awesome. I'm guessing you might have more than tea too, but um, <laughs> <laughs> just. <laughs> All right. If you were given $20 million tomorrow, what would you do with it?
2: Dude, I'd, I'd invest it in the recession-resistant investments that we bring to the table, bro. Because that's what I believe in. That's the, that's the difference that we can make, man. It's uh, you know, I'm out there like helping as many investors as I can create financial freedom, and expand their wealth, so that they can live free, make decisions from their heart and soul, go out and spread their seed, be financially back to make the difference in the world that they want to. So, yeah, that's what I do, man. That's awesome. I love it. So,
0: before we wrap up here, talk a little bit more about kind of you know your your book coming out or any recent um, you know deals you have going on. Uh, what's what's going on today in
2: your business? Yeah, we've got a lot going on, man. Yeah, the Freedom Trinity, um, that'll probably be coming out next year. Um, it's in the very, very early stages of the works here. Uh, the Freedom Trinity is financial time and location freedom. Collectively, when we live that together, we have true freedom in the material world in our life. I think spiritual, psychological, and health freedom is so important as well. Um, that's a little bit of a different topic. Um Yeah. Financial freedom mastery. That's actually something we've been putting a lot of energy into recently. That's where we're literally teaching people what our system has failed to teach us. I believe our system is created to create employees and cogs in the wheel to fulfill their dreams. Um, not actually our dreams. And so I'm really dedicated to helping people create financial freedom. And so basically what I've done is I've taken 10 years of experience, hundreds of thousands of dollars of self-education and millions of dollars of like invested capital, risk capital put out there to prove the philosophies and concepts Um, and principles that we actually teach in Financial Freedom Mastery. And we teach that over a two-day period. We do it live. We also do it in, in a virtual setting as well. And the course is literally designed that through 14 freedom exercises, each of the participants literally create their own custom-designed financial freedom strategy and plan based off their own specific needs, desires, and circumstances because none of us are created equal or in the same position. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's really exciting. And uh, if if anyone's interested in finding out more about that, go to freedomtrinity.com. And awesome. uh, really, we're just like going to bring as many recession-resistant investments that we can to the table. Um, we're just going to yeah. keep going and, and keep uh, expanding our smorgasbord of recession-resistant investments and serving our inner circle. Love
0: it. Do you, uh, when you raise capital or you, and, and look for investors, is it accredited only, or do you work with non-accredited investors as well?
2: We work with both. Um, some of our investments allow both accredited and non-accredited, and mm-hmm. some of them are for accredited only, but uh, we gotcha. definitely accommodate both.
0: Awesome. That's really cool on this course too, because it's, I think, one of the main problems with, you know, specifically public education as far as finance goes. is Well, for one, it may not be, you know, the teacher may not be the the, <laughs> the person who should be, Kind of giving out this this financial education, no offense to public school teachers. My mom was one for many years um, and two it it has to be catered like you just said, it has to be catered to the individual, so it's not a one size fits all yeah, you know, solutions. Yeah, there's so. too
2: many one size fits all things out there, even with health and relationships and everything. And it's just the world just doesn't work like that. And yep. you you hit it on the head, man. Like no one wants a fat fitness instructor. So if you're gonna <laughs> learn to to be financially successful, you wanna learn by somebody who's like way ahead of where you are. Absolutely. I love it. Man, Bryce, I, I definitely need to re-listen
0: to this one. This has been fantastic. Um, you have any more uh quick gold gold nuggets you want to drop before we sign off here
2: i would just say like guys it's never been more important to take care of ourselves financially where We're on the precipice of like big historical events to happen economically. I know we didn't really like break into that much today, but uh, some really interesting times are coming to say the least. I think it's gonna be in a time where there's gonna be a lot of people in need and there's gonna be a lot of people positions to be able to help as well. I know i will be on the helping side of that. So I would just say like expand your awareness of what's happening around you and what's what's coming in the near future. Um, It's my belief that we're gonna experience some pretty hardcore, like economic downturns, potentially some of the biggest that we've ever seen in our life. So the time has never been more important. We are in the 11th hour to take action on this. Uh, it's not too late to get going on it, but it's it's time to take action now and start taking control of our freedom in all areas of our life. And um, you know, the financial piece is a good place to start.
0: Absolutely, I love it. That was really well said, Bryce. Where can our listeners find you online? I know you've already mentioned it, but go ahead and plug it again if you would.
2: Yeah. So, you know, if you want to just find out about investments, more about us, uh, go to investcultivate.com and we spell cultivate with the number eight. So that's invest, uh, C U L T I V, the number eight.com. And uh, if you're looking to find out more about financial freedom mastery, go to freedomtrinity.com.
0: Fantastic, Bryce. Bryce Robertson, thank you so much for your time today. It's been fantastic. And uh, for our listeners out there, thank you for spending your most valuable resource with us. And that is your time as well. Take care, everyone.
1: Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of the From Adversity to Abundance podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. That helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.
0: Hey there, it's Jamie Bateman. Ever felt boxed in by life's challenges? dive into my new book from adversity to abundance, inspiring stories of mental, physical, and financial transformation available now on Amazon from a former bank robber's redemption to a young entrepreneur's victory over hurdles. These stories are not just inspiration. They're the roadmaps to your transformation, whether for you or as a powerful gift to friends and family, especially those who might not tune into podcasts. This book is a beacon to a life of abundance. Ignite that inner fire and set your course to the life you've imagined. Purchase yours today on Amazon and light the path for someone you love.